0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. So glad that you were with us. Started a new message series two weeks ago entitled The Language of God. We've been talking about faith and science and everything that that entails. Going to turn a corner today and talk more about technology. Technology is, of course, the application of scientific knowledge and principles. Technology very uh, simply defined is uh, our Ability, our capacity to make tools. God, who is creative, a creator, made us in His image and has given us this ability to uh, to think some of His thoughts, to want to um, extend our own, uh, past our own limitations, to make tools that extend ourselves. and uh, And it's amazing how God created us with this ability. Uh, So, I hold in my hand uh, what is in many ways uh, one of the wonders of the world. It really, really is. This is uh, my smartphone. I I love this thing. It really is amazing. 200 years ago, if I'd had something like this, they would have burned me as a witch. I mean, you understand this, right? It is an amazing, amazing device. It it is really the the pinnacle of scientific knowledge and technology. And this little bitty phone, call it a phone, uh, smaller than a deck of cards, No wires. Uh, I have more computing power right here than the entire space capsule that took the Apollo astronauts to the moon. You understand that? There's more computing uh, ability right here. Actually, there's more computing ability in your typical thumb drive than what sent the first men to the moon. Uh, The capabilities that we have are absolutely amazing and stunning. But with most technology, the real question becomes what will you do with it? It's not that technology is good. It's not that technology is bad. The question becomes what will we do with it? So in answer to that question, especially regarding the smartphones, I want you to turn your attention to my friend Diane Sawyer. Again, the question is with such amazing technology and knowledge, What will we do with it? And it turns out we do something like this. Hit it. Do texting. Oh, wow. ah. yeah. Keep watching. And by the way, in London, so many people are texting and walking. They've decided to pad some of the <laughs> That's a little bit embarrassing when, when you stop and think about it. They want us to be smarter with our smartphones. Because, again, if the question is what will we do with this amazing technology, apparently the answer to that is we will text and walk out into traffic. It's, it's amazing. But honestly, Scripture talks about this. Scripture knows all about this. The, the question becomes, with all of our knowledge and the way we continue to add knowledge upon knowledge, why don't we seem to be getting any smarter And Job talks about, this isn't even my preaching text, but I want to start here. The book of Job actually talks about technology and the way in which it really never seems to lead us to actual wisdom. Here's what Job says. People know how to overturn the roots of mountains. They cut tunnels in the rocks and dam up the trickling streams, but do they know where to find wisdom? Job goes on to say, the fear of the Lord is true wisdom. So even back in Job's day, Job, probably the oldest book in the Old Testament, Job knew about technology, and he also knew how technology doesn't really ever seem to make us any closer to wisdom. is that amazing? Because wisdom has to do with the fear of the Lord. Technology is different. It tends to make us feel almost God-like. Now, again, this is my smartphone. I mentioned that my son Wade is in Ghana, Africa right now, and he is. He is approximately 6,000 miles away. I know this because I Googled it, isn't it amazing? 6,000 miles away from where we are in Woodburn, Kentucky. Ghana is a very primitive country in most of the regions, and so he doesn't have a lot of ability to communicate with me. But apparently one day this week, he, he walked through 20 seconds of Wi-Fi, and he quickly texted me. Okay, so just stop and think. My son has a phone that's exactly like this one. It's, it's this size. It has no wires. And somewhere in, outside of uh, Accra in, in Ghana, Africa, he pecked out a little message to me on his phone and just clicked send. That message left his phone. It, it went into outer space. You understand this? It it found somehow a a satellite about the size of a beach ball, which ricocheted that message to another satellite, maybe another satellite, through outer space, and then somehow that message was ricocheted off one of those satellites to this little phone in my hand in my office in Woodburn, Kentucky. That's just simply miraculous, What's even funnier about it is I'm in my office, and, and, and I got it, and then I send something back to him, and, and then he doesn't answer me right away, and I'm thinking, what's taking so long? What's wrong with this phone? You understand? Uh, we're we're bouncing messages across thousands of miles and in outer space, and I'm going, what's wrong with this phone? What's wrong? It's so slow. Um, it's amazing. It's, it's miraculous. And, and this is what I mean. We begin to almost feel godlike in our abilities. But the more godlike we want to be, the less of the actual fear of the Lord is going to be found in us. And that is why our technology often takes us further and further and further away from actual wisdom and true fear of the Lord. If you don't believe me, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 11. Turns out the very first story about technology in the Bible is a story of how they used it to defy God. Again, I remind you, the question is not, is it good, is it bad? The question is always, what will you do with it? In Genesis chapter 11, you're not going to be really impressed with this technology because you're way beyond the invention of the brick. But they invent the brick in Genesis chapter 11, and immediately you'll have to pay attention to what they do with it. Genesis chapter 11. 11, verse 1. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language. Just stop, because I just think this is really funny. Genesis is written in Hebrew, and so the original Hebrew there says, at one time, all the people of the world had one lip. That's just what it says. This things that's really funny. <laughs> you know, the, it means they had one language, but, but in Hebrew, it says they all had one lip. Um, and one word, but this is what the scripture says all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. And as the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and they settled there. They began saying to each other, Let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, bricks were used instead of stone, and tar was used for mortar. Then they said, Come, let's build a great city for ourselves. With a tower that reaches into the sky, this will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Hold that thought. Keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages, then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. Okay, go back. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language, used the same words. Okay, to understand, we're talking about the entirety of the human race now. They live in one place all together, and they all speak the same language, and somebody invents something. They invent the brick. Now, you have your iPhone. They had their iBrick. You understand? They're all excited about this. And it really is a pretty amazing technological accomplishment. Before the invention of the brick, and I'm not being funny. This is serious. Before the invention of the brick, the only way to build a structure would be to stack stones in this region. They would stack stones They might perhaps be able to make something simple out of mud or or sticks, something like that. But the bottom line is you're very limited. If all you can do is stack natural stones one on top of another, then you're never going to stack very high, and what you build is never going to be very strong. So up to this point, you're, you're limited in what you could accomplish with architecture because of your materials, natural stone. But somebody realizes that you could you can make your own rock, you can make your own stone, and somebody figures out that you could take clay from the ground, you could form it into whatever shape you wanted, and you could bake that in fire. And essentially, you're, you're, you're custom making your own rocks, it's rock, and, and so they realized that, that if you can form it in any shape you want, then you could absolutely make the ideal stone for stacking. And that's what they did. They make, make the ideal stone for stacking so they're able to make every single stone the very same shape, the very same size, and absolutely flat and uniform. So that way now you're not just stacking natural stones on top of one another. You're not just smearing mud between sticks. You can literally stack perfect stones one on top of another. And now the ability is to build very, very high and very, very strong. So this is the technological achievement that's, that, that's accomplished here, this ability to build, to build strong, and to build tall. So as I say, the question becomes not, are, are bricks good or, or are bricks evil? The question is, how are they going to use it? What will they do with it? And what do they decide to do? Well, let's look. Look at the Scripture with me. They say to one another, let's make bricks, harden them with fire. Then they said, verse 4, come, let's build a great city for ourselves, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches to heaven. That's what they say. We're going to build a tower that reaches to heaven. As I've been saying for several weeks now, they don't really have much of a concept of how high heaven is. They think of the sky sort of like a bowl sitting on top of the earth, and their idea is we're going to build a tower all the way to heaven. This is going to make us famous And it's going to keep us from being scattered all over the world. All right? So what's their aim? What are they saying here? We're going to build a city for ourselves. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to build a tower that reaches to heaven. What are they saying right there? We're going to put ourselves in the very place of God. We're going to go surprise God. We're going to take charge of this thing. We're going to build our way all the way to heaven. You understand? They want to be like God. And then notice what they say. This will make us famous. This will make us important. And this will make sure that we never get scattered all over the world. Now, if you've been reading through the book of Genesis or if you're familiar with the earlier stories, you'll remember that God created humanity, the human race. He created men and women in his image. But the important thing God said repeatedly is that you need to be fruitful, you need to multiply, and you need to what? Fill the earth. From the very beginning, God's plan, God's purpose was that the human race would fill, that they would scatter and fill the earth so that they could manage the earth, so that they could represent God and his rule in the earth, so that they could somehow manage and be stewards of everything that God has made. God created them to fill the earth. So with their technology, their aim now is not so much to serve God, not in any way to elevate God. They're only interested in elevating themselves. Actually, they want to take the place of God. They want to build all the way to heaven, and they want to use their technology so that they can actually disobey God's mandate for humanity. This way, we won't be scattered. You understand that? Where all along, God has said, spread out, fill the earth. So, their technology is going to be used simply so that they can be like God and defy God. You see that? Okay, because when you see that, it raises an interesting question. If, if, if human beings want to be like God, what exactly does that mean? Well, if you go again back into Genesis, you'll remember that when the serpent first approached Eve in the garden and he was tempting her to eat of the fruit, what did he say? He said, you can eat this fruit and it will do what? It'll make you like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil. You'll have God's kind of knowledge. This will make you like God. God just knows that you'll be like him, and and he wants to keep that from you. So, So, therefore, take and eat, and you'll be like God. Interesting? So it's the very first temptation. In some ways you can say it's the essence of every sin, every temptation. It's that draw, that lure for us to to be like God, to become like God. So that is by its very nature sin, to want to be God. So that brings us to the question, if our tendency, if our temptation as human beings is to try to become like God, then what is God's purpose for us? What does God actually want from us? And this is where it gets interesting. Colossians chapter 3, verse 10 sort of tells us what our purpose is, and our purpose is to learn to know the Creator and what? Yeah. Uh, okay, wait. The devil's idea w- was you could eat this fruit and become like God, And that was sin. And at the Tower of Babel, they want to build and become like God, and God comes down and destroys that. But then in the New Testament, it tells me plainly that the purpose of my life is to learn to know the Creator and become like Him. So what what gives there? Does God want me to become like him, or does God not want me to become like him? How, how is it a sin to want to become like God, and at the same time, the purpose of my life is to learn to know God and become like him? What, how would you explain that? Not be, a God. not be a God, but become like God? Yeah, yeah, definitely. What else? What's the first part here? Learn to know your creator. Yeah, we're not gonna be God, we may become like Him, but God's intention was not that we become like Him apart from Him. Do you see that? God's intention is at first we know Him, that we come into a relationship with Him. God wants to share His life and His blessings and His joy with us. God wants to share His glory with us. He wants us to know Him, and in that relationship of love and and blessing, we will become like Him. See, this is God's purpose, that we do become like Him. That's why God made us, but but not to become like him in a way that separates us from him. He doesn't want us to seek these things apart from him. You must learn to know your creator, be united in a relationship with him, share his life, share his blessings, and in the process, become like him. This is precisely, precisely what the Tower of Babel is about. Their desire is to become like God, put put themselves in God's place, but they don't want God. They want to do this apart from him. You'll remember back in the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve had sinned that the very next thing God has to do is drive them out of the garden. Do you remember why? Is it because God just got mad and threw a tantrum and said, okay, get out of my garden. Get out of here. Go. Go." Is it just that? No. It's God's mercy. It's God's grace. Once the man and woman had sinned, once the fellowship with the Creator was broken, they had to be driven out of the garden. Why? Why? so that they would not eat of the tree of life and live forever. Because you understand, if you're going to live forever in separation from God, that's the definition of hell. That's the definition of hell. God does not want us to live apart from him. His desire is that we know him and become like him. So at the Tower of Babel, their desire was to become like him, to take his place But in defiance, in separation, they wanted this apart from him. So what does God do, and why does he do it? Take a look with me. They said, come, let's build a great city, verse 4. We'll build a tower that reaches to heaven. We'll be famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. Verse 5, so the Lord did what? Again, this is funny. you got to get used to the Bible being funny sometimes. This is supposed to be funny because it is funny. What does God do? We're going to build a tower. It's going to reach to heaven. So God comes down to look. You get it? Some of you will get this later. And it's going to crack you up. You understand? they're building this tower that in their mind is so tall. It's going to be to heaven. God better look out. We're building to heaven. So God has to come down, and this, this is the passage. God has to come down to see their little, you know, brick thingy. I mean, they're not doing all that they think they're doing. They're not building as high as, as they uh, imagine because they really don't understand how high God is. You understand? They really don't know how far beyond them he is. So the scripture says God comes down to look at the little brick thingy and the people were are building. And God says, look, people are united. They speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Let's go down and confuse their speech, and then they won't be able to do what they have set out to do. God comes down and destroys it. God actually confuses their speech. This is where languages come from. God confuses their speech so that they will not be able to unite in defiance of him in this way. Is this just a tantrum? Another one of God's tantrums, or he's just, you know, uh, crazy people, and He just, you know, is this just God being mean? God wanting to make sure we don't get too big for our britches, to make sure we don't actually come up and get him one day? He afraid of us? No. No. Did you understand? Again, go back. What did God want for them, that, that they would multiply and fill the earth? What do they want to do? We just want to stay right here. We know this place. This is our place. This is our city. We're going we're to make this city, and it's going to be ours, and we're going to be famous, and we're going to build tall. And, but, but the bottom line is they just want to be right there. They want to stay in the place they know. They want to stay in the place that's familiar. Everything they do is out of fear and insecurity. We don't want to be scattered. We don't want to be separated. We're going to do everything we can to stay right here. Why is that devastating? Why is that offensive to God? Because God wants to give them the world. Did you understand? God created the universe in its beauty. God created the world in all of its vast majesty. And God created that for us, that we could share his life, that we could share his glory. The world is beautiful. God wants to give them the world. They just want this itty-bitty dust bowl that they think is, is their city that's going to make them famous. They just want what they have. And God wants to give them of them so much more. I just want you to get this principle right here because it matters for your life. Understand this: you think little, we think little, but God thinks big. We think little. The people at the Tower of Babel they were thinking very, very small. We're going to build a tower that reaches to heaven. They have no idea how small what they're doing is. They have no idea what God actually has for them. Do you understand? God created them for the whole world, and they just want to stay right there. They have no desire to go see the Grand Canyon. I mean, shoot, they could go to Disney World, people. I mean, they could go to the Himalayas. They could go anywhere, but they have no desire. They just think small. Now, they think they think big, but they think small. We think little, God thinks big. What God wants to give us is infinitely greater than what we can make apart from Him. You with me? What God wants to give us, what God wants for us is infinitely greater than what we can make apart from him. Again, they think that by doing this, that they can have everything that they dream of, that they can be famous, that they'll find security. They think this is the answer to everything, but they're vision is so small, their lives are so small, their world is so small, and sometimes God will come down and simply destroy your little bitty world in order to give you a greater world, a larger world. What God wants to do to bless you is far beyond what you could possibly imagine or ask for. So when the Scripture says God comes down, understand, when God comes down to us, that is always a sign of mercy. It's always a sign of grace. It's always a sign of God's unwillingness to live apart from us. He comes down to where we are. And sometimes he's going to have to remove you from your place of comfort. Sometimes he's going to have to ruin that itty-bitty thing that you're building with all of your might. He may have to destroy what is false in your life so that he can give you what is true. He may sometimes destroy what is small in your life because he wants to give you something infinitely greater, infinitely greater. They have no idea. We never really do have any kind of idea. Around these parts, it's kind of common to see the Amish out there. You see them, and and typically we just think they're weird. Why in the world would anybody not embrace technology? Why would anybody just freeze it right there with a horse and buggy? Why would anybody choose that life? For the most part, we really don't understand them. And honestly, there are things that are just weird. I would never want to just just wear the clothes my wife could make me. Can you imagine? Be zipping up my pants. This is over. So no, they don't have zippers. Do they? I'd be what, tying them with a grass string up on this side? I mean, there's just no technology. But understand, they're not unintelligent people, and they've actually thought quite a lot about technology. And the Amish have a very interesting theology of technology. You should pay attention to some of what they say. Because for one thing, the Amish say that technologies inevitably reverse themselves. You gotta think about that. Technology reverses itself. In other words, what it actually promises will not be what it in the end delivers. A little bit of example, Um, the invention of air conditioning was amazing in the South. And to this day, it's absolutely amazing. But isn't it funny that, that we created air conditioning so we could be comfortable. But typically in the summer, the building where you work is so cold, half the people are wearing sweaters. I mean, think about that. We have air conditioning so that we can make it so cold that you have to wear a sweater on the hottest day in July inside. There's something insane about that when, when you really stop and think about it. And this is what the Amish are saying technology reverses itself. So the very invention that's supposed to bring us comfort actually just makes us cold, but we don't seem to recognize the irony of that. The Amish would also say that technology always has sort of unintended consequences back to air conditioning. Great grandparents would tell us that air conditioning destroyed communities. Air conditioning destroyed communities. Why would they say that? Well, because in the old days, it was hot. It was too hot to stay in the house. So everybody had these big front porches, big deep porches, so there would be a lot of shade, maybe a porch swing, a place where maybe you could catch a breeze. And so people would sit outside because it was unbearably hot inside. But the consequence of being outside is that people would see each other. In the afternoon, when everybody's work was done, everybody would sit on the porch. And because they're on the porch, they'd see each other. They might walk across the road there and talk to one another. You could wave as people passed. There was a sense of community because everybody was outside. But what happened when we invented air conditioning? Everybody went inside to watch the Wheel of Fortune, and they never came back out. And very truly, some of us now live in neighborhoods where you don't know your neighbors. You don't have any idea who those people are. As a matter of fact, they don't even have a front porch. They are not coming out to see you. You understand? It's this really strange unintended consequence. Nobody intended to ruin communities, but the technology had that kind of effect. Now, notice at the Tower of Babel, what was their main goal? We're going to do this so that we never get scattered all over the world. That was their aim. We're going to do this, and we're never, ever going to scatter. But that's exactly what happened. It's precisely what happened at the end of their big technological endeavor. What they never wanted to happen is exactly what happens. Technology has this tendency to reverse itself. It promises one thing. It gives us something else. It has consequences we never saw coming. The book of Psalms kind of warns you of this. It's a verse that you probably read before from chapter 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots. Again, I remind you, chariot was technology in those days. Some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in chariots the things that they can make apart from God, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Notice that the key word there is trust. And notice that there's kind of this rivalry here between the technology, the things we can make, and the Lord, our God, the only one who is worthy of our trust. As I've been saying, the problem with technology is that it tends not to deliver what it promises. It tends to reverse itself on us. Again, back, back back to this phone, smartphone, with all the social media that's supposed to connect us to each other. It's true. I could possibly, if he were to walk through a, a patch of Wi-Fi, I could literally talk to my son in Ghana, Africa, with this in my hand. I still just think that's miraculous. I praise God for that. But but the funny thing is, and y- y'all know this is true, that this technology, this social media technology. It does have this incredible ability to connect us to people far away. Some of you now on Facebook or on Twitter, you're connected with people that you moved off and you haven't seen them and you don't see them, but you can now be connected to them. And it's amazing how it it lets us do that. It's funny how you can text uh, a person who's in another town, another state, or maybe just across the room, but, but it's this ability to connect us to people that are far away from us. That's the beauty of the technology. But again, technology often reverses itself. And, and here's the f- odd part the same technology that connects me with people very, very far away from me, it, it separates me from people that are close by. You know what I mean? How many of you now live in a family where everybody constantly stares at a screen? I mean, you have family members you couldn't pick out of a lineup anymore because you haven't looked them in the face in years. You, you, these people may be nice people, but you don't know them. You know I'm telling the truth. It's this amazing way that it's connecting us to people far away, but, but it's dividing us, it's separating us from people that are, that are close to us. I'm saying you can't push your trust in these sorts of things because they are not worthy of our trust only the lord our god can give us what it is we all crave community love grace forgiveness life these are devices that they won't deliver that next thought here help me out emily You can't let technology isolate you from God. Some trust in these things. We trust in the name of the Lord, our God. The tendency is to begin to put our trust in things that are not God. We want to find satisfaction or thrills or excitement. Understand that it's Christ who came to give us life and life abundantly. You will not find these things in anything that somebody can invent or sell or put in your hand. But, But we keep waiting for that and looking for that. People will go into debt now to have a smartphone. People will do anything to have the latest technology, but it's it's so, so strange. None of these things are actually improving the quality of our lives. There are young men who spend literally hours and sometimes literally days, and some of you guys back me up, you know this is true. There are guys who sit literally for days, hours on end playing video games. The technology is amazing, it's completely immersive. It's like you're there and, and your heart races and you're completely into this. But interestingly, when scientists measure your mood, measure your emotional state during all of that gaming, most gamers, gamers actually register that they are mildly depressed in that whole period of time. Same, same goes for people glued to television. Same goes for people glued to the internet. All of these devices, all of these things that we go to because we think they bring us comfort, or they think they help us pass the time, or, or they think that it somehow enhances our lives, makes us excited, we love the stimulation. Bottom line is it's not adding anything to the quality of your life. Nothing at all. You cannot possibly, possibly trust these devices. They're only tools. They're only tools. You must use them, but you can't love them. There are people who absolutely love these devices. If you left for church this morning and you had left your husband at home, you might just keep driving. But if you left your cell phone at home, you'd wheel it around quick. You'd get a speeding ticket. Am I making that up? Yeah. Husband can walk or stay at home, but, but you would break your neck. I mean, some of you would trade limbs or organs off your body, but please do not take away my phone. You understand, there's this love for these devices, and there's something very, very sick about that. My hunch is when we begin to treat objects like people, We inevitably begin to treat people like objects. When you begin to love things, you'll inevitably begin to use people. Do you understand? These are tools. These are devices. I don't think they're either good or bad. The question becomes, how do you use them? What do you do with it? A lot of people let the technology actually isolate, separate them from God. These things could be ruining your spiritual life. I'm not saying they're evil. I'm just asking you to think about how you use them. They're tools. Use them, don't love them. Truth of the matter is, I think it's a very real possibility that some of these things now really are having a negative effect on your spiritual life. It really is ruining something important about your soul. I want you to consider that. So how would you know? How would you know if, if, if your use of technology, your choices around technology are, are, are eroding your spiritual life? Um, I got a little quiz for you. Let's do it together. First question. I just ask it this way. Are you becoming less patient or less able to wait? Notice that the most quickly growing social media these days is Instagram. Instagram. In other words, it's instant. I can put a picture up instantly. You'll be able to see what I'm eating for lunch. Instagram, we instant message. My son is sending a message from Ghana, Africa. And I'm thinking, what's taking so long? What's taking so long? Well, what? Becoming so impatient, so unable to wait for anything. Teenage kid asks his parents, why do microwave ovens take so long? Yeah. Becoming less patient, less able to wait. Understand patience is one of those fruit of the spirit, like love and joy and kindness peace, patience, self-control. When these things start to evaporate from your life, when you find yourself less joyful, less patient, less kind, less in control of yourself, more being controlled by your phone than actually controlling your own habits, I, I want you to understand, when these, when these fruit of the Spirit begin to disappear from your life, it's a bad sign for your spiritual life. Something is off. And this incredible lack of patience, this incredible lack of kindness that you see in the world around us, it's probably an effect of the way we've put our trust in things that are not God, things that cannot produce these qualities in us. Next one. Are you less able to relate to the neighbor or the stranger right in front of you? I've already been talking about how family members just sit and stare at a screen, they ignore each other. It's crazy, isn't it? We just ignore the people right in the room around us. We stay glued to to, to this. But but if you read Scripture over and over and over, there continues to be this important emphasis placed upon people. Most important commandment, Jesus said, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Your your neighbor, we're talking about the people right around you, right next to you. Jesus also talks about the stranger. I I came to you, I I needed a drink, I needed food, I needed clothes, and, and you did not help me. And as much as you did not help the least of these brothers of mine, you did not help me. Do you understand? Jesus puts this incredible premium on the way you treat your neighbor, on the way you treat the stranger. Are you less able to relate to the neighbor, the stranger, right in front of your face because you don't pay attention to people anymore? You only pay attention to your technology, your devices? I'm not just talking to cell phone people here. Some of you absolutely would would sit hours in front of a television watching just mindless garbage. You're watching the Home Shopping Network. Watching just, there's nothing at all of of value, but you opt to pay attention to these things rather than tend to your neighbor, the stranger in your midst. I'm saying there's something spiritually dead, something spiritually dying in us when we lose this ability to relate to the neighbor, to relate to the stranger. This is what true religion is according to Scripture. Something wrong with us. One more comes back to the Tower of Babel. Is your world actually becoming smaller? Now, remember, our technology promises to connect us to the world. AT&T, their their, their whole logo now is a globe. The idea is that they're going to give you the world, give you the globe. But, But actually, some of us, the more involved in technology we become, the smaller our world becomes. Let's be honest. You are not connected to the world. You are playing Candy Crush 12 hours a day. We need an intervention for you. You're not living life at all. Your world is just getting very, very small. Facebook tells you you have three trillion friends, but you don't have a friend in the universe, lady. You don't have a friend in the world, sir, because you're connected. You're, You're absolutely connected to something that cannot give you life. Your world's smaller. God wants to give you the world. God wants you to get out and enjoy creation. God wants you to know your neighbors and and tend to the stranger. God wants to give you life, but you've chosen this cheap substitute because it's something that we can make with our own hands. Makes us feel godlike. Makes us feel stimulated and excited, but it just might be destroying us in all the ways that really matter. Some trust in these things, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. One of the biggest technology companies on the planet these days is Google. Google made a big announcement a few weeks ago. Did you follow it? They have a new initiative. This is serious. Google's next plan is to defeat death. You heard me right, and that's what they're promising. They're going to defeat death. Google just launched a new company called Calico, California Life Company. Their aim is through technology to extend the human lifespan indefinitely. Well, in the Bible, that's called eternal life. Google is now going to offer you eternal life. We have this desire to become like God. We have this horrible temptation to try to become like God without actually knowing God. We want all the things that God would give us, but we don't want God. That is the nature of our sin. It's the nature of the human race. It's why God comes down to us so that we don't ruin our lives, so that we don't ruin the planet, so that we don't find ways to live our entire lives apart from him. You're created to know your creator, to know him, to live with him, to enjoy everything that he makes and gives you for free, to love him, share his glory, share his life. And the beauty of that relationship of salvation, we become like him. That's what life's about. Pray with me. God, I know in this room today there are uh, lonely people and bored people. People who really haven't figured out what life is about no sense of purpose. Lord, we just try to fill our days with something that will uh, pass time, stimulate us, offer us something. We love the idea that we can connect with people, Lord, but for all of the uh, connections, we still feel very, very disconnected. Lord, as it turns out, all of the things that you promise us, love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and life abundant, Lord, as it turns out, we can't find these things anywhere else and we sure can't make them for ourselves. Help us, Lord Jesus, to turn to you, to trust only you before things, before anything, Lord. Help us to bring ourselves to you and let you give us life and fill our lives up. Help us, Lord, to find our joy, our peace, our everything in you. Lord, forgive us for the way we sometimes try to fill our lives with things. Forgive us for the ways, Lord, that we sometimes feel so godlike that we forget to fear you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just simply open our eyes, open our minds. Help us, Lord, to see all that you want to give us. Help us, Lord, to receive all good things from the hand of our Creator. Pray these things in your precious name.